Welcome to Experience This, the podcast that celebrates remarkable customer experiences and inspires you to stand out from the competition by wowing your customers. Each episode, we bring you a healthy dose of inspiring stories, funny interactions, and practical takeaways. Marketing and customer experience thought leader, Dan Gingis shares the mic with customer retention and employee experience expert, Joey Coleman, helping you to get people talking about your business. So get ready because it's time to experience this. Get ready for another episode of the Experience This Show. Join us as we discuss the sound of a great experience, tasty treats in unexpected venues, and the vestiges of customer interaction that just aren't functioning anymore. Timbre, taste, and ticket. Oh, my. There are so many great customer experience articles to read, but who has the time? We summarize them and offer clear takeaways you can implement starting tomorrow. Enjoy this segment of CX Press, where we read the articles so you don't need to. You and I have both spent a lot of time singing in choirs and acapella groups over the years, Stan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, we have, my man. <laughs> I love it. And we even did a singing it. episode, I believe. Uh, we did some Christmas carols, CX Christmas carols way back in season two, episode 53. One of my very favorite episodes we ever did. You are correct. That was a super fun episode indeed. And, you know, as we approach the Christmas holiday, it'd be fun for people that are listening to maybe go back and dust off that old episode. It's an oldie but a goodie, episode 53. But I digress. At the risk of putting your musical theory knowledge to the test in front of our listeners, Dan, do you know what the word timbre refers to in a musical context? Wait, isn't that the word that is often mispronounced as Timber, like timber. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Timber is spelled T-I-M-B-E-R, whereas timbre is spelled T-I-M-B-R-E. You know what a what a language we have, huh? English, man. I tell Yay. you, no wonder learning English is so difficult for people. Same letters, different order. All right. Well, I think timbre refers to the auditory tone that distinguishes one instrument from another. Exactly. I think timbre is something that most businesses could be thinking more about when it comes to their customer experiences. And Lucy Alexander feels the same way. Lucy is a writer for The Rob Report and the author of our featured CX Press story that dives deep into this discussion. The article is titled The Sound of Luxury, and it opens with the statement that, quote, Designers are engineering oral sensations, a supercar's roar, a grand sonnery's chime to drill deep into your subconscious and leave a lasting impression. Then you're hooked. Who knew noise had become so valuable? I I'm sorry, did you say sonnery? Uh, yes, I did. And I think I pronounced it right. I feel like this segment is a bit turning into the dictionary pronunciation episode, but sonnery is French for making sound or ring. And it usually refers to bell towers or the chimes that one might hear in a mechanical clock or a wristwatch. And what I love about Lucy's article is not only her fabulous use of language, but that it details a variety of luxury brands 
that have focused on the sound of their offering. For example, the 12 screaming cylinders of a Lamborghini engine revving. Or accelerating. Or just drawing a crowd. According to Moritz Rizziani, I think I got that one right. This is a difficult segment to talk about. Moritz is Lamborghini's chief technical officer. Those sounds that you just heard are all intentional with the high-pitched roar of the engine triggering excitement as, quote, a key component in a precisely calibrated chain of events that takes your ears, the car, and then your stomach from zero to 60 in a little over two seconds. I love it. There are other sounds, too, that I'm reminded of. How about a champagne cork popping? Or the sound of an apple box opening and the associated... So many luxury brands have developed a signature sound in an attempt to connect with their customers in a deep and meaningful way. Mr. Reziani from Lamborghini explains it as follows, and I quote, When you are in a super sports car, the sound becomes part of your emotions. It becomes part of your perception of speed. If you hit the gas, you expect to hear a tremendous sound that tells you you are accelerating really fast. In an airplane, when you hear the engines run, you think, okay, my God, now we're starting. And after that, you start to feel the acceleration. This is exactly the conjunction between what you hear, what you anticipate your body will soon perceive, and then what you actually experience. I'm starting to see how you're connecting this to customer experience because a good customer experience also usually starts with some sort of cue that sets an expectation or starts to build anticipation. And then the actual experience happens and, and hopefully it delivers or even exceeds on that expectation. And you know, there we go again and again. We you know, rinse and repeat. So I, I think the sound piece of it is certainly one of those ways that you can build that anticipation. And, and clearly the, the sound cue... I mean, I remember we had a... Please don't ask me to quote the episode. I don't remember. But remember when you talked about Netflix's sound and how we would know that, you know, from anywhere and then they changed the sound when they did when they went out into movie theaters? Uh, you mean episode 116? That one. <laughs> how did you know that? We're switching roles up here. It's a little ridiculous. No, yeah, exactly. You know, Netflix, ta-dum, and they readjusted it for the cinematic experience to make it different. No, absolutely. I mean, I think at the end of the day, what we're realizing is that more and more brands are recognizing the sound profile of the brand as being something that they should pay attention to. The article details how brands are attempting to, and I quote, use our aural cavities to seduce us into a subconscious sensory relationship because emotional connections are deeper and harder to break than logical ones, end quote. As the customer experience professionals and aficionados listening to this podcast, you know how important it is to create emotional connection with your customers. What I think often gets missed is the role that sound can play in this. 
You know, I think we over-index on sight. What does our brand look like? What are our visuals? What are our colors? When the reality is that sound is not only just as valuable a piece of the puzzle, but increasingly with the rise of voice commands and always-on listening devices like Amazon's Alexa or Google Home or Apple HomePod, the sounds associated with your brand matter more than ever. And there he goes again. He just turned my Alexa on. Thank you, Joey. (laughs) It's my favorite thing to do, friends. (laughs) Well, most experts agree that aural branding really started to reach mass adoption about two years ago. And luxury brands especially are working overtime on the sound of their products and their store environments. In fact, the article talks about Harrods, a world-renowned retail emporium in London, and how they realize that every department within the store was playing their own audio. Not only was it not coordinated, but in many instances, the sounds actually clashed. Fran Board, creative director at the Sound Agency, describes how Harrods installed a series of soundscapes, which she says is, quote, ambient background sounds that don't distract in the way that music might, unquote. For example, in the glassware department, they recorded tones made by the various vases and decanters and used those recordings to create a soundtrack. As Ms. Board notes, quote, this aural wallpaper is pleasant, but barely discernible, unquote. Kind of reminds me of that Lego soundtrack that you talked about a few episodes ago. (laughs) So true. So true. You know, what is the background sound of your brand? You know, it reminds me as well of something that I saw recently in uh, Apple's product launch where they opened the live stream with a musical piece by the musician A.G. Cook. And the piece is called OS. Here's a little sample. In case you missed it, that song is made from the sounds of various Apple products turning on, opening, closing. You know, it's a toe-tapping tune that can't help but bring a smile to your face. And isn't that what all of us want our customers to do when they hear us? You know, Joy, so much of this sound conversation also connects to craftsmanship, which of course equates to quality the more it increases. The article quotes Charles Spence, professor of experimental psychology at the University of Oxford. Quote, there will be a more innate response to certain sound qualities, and then there is an acquired response to the sounds that we come to learn to signify something. The pop of a cork. You weren't born thinking that this was a great sound. It wouldn't give newborn babies an emotional high, but it does for many adults, as it leads to expectations. Unquote. Exactly. And as it turns out, customers have these expectations and will happily pay more for a product that sounds really well-made. Which brings us back around to timbre. See, the cool thing about timbre is that different instruments have different sounds. And the more you hear these sounds, the more you become accustomed to recognizing an instrument by its sound. Well, the more specific your brand or your product or your service offering sounds, the easier it's going to be for your customers to recognize you in the marketplace. The easier it's going to be for you to stand out amongst all the rest of the noise. So here's something for you to think about. 
What will a customer's ears experience when they do business with you? What noises do your products make? Is there a sound to your service? And if so, what is it? Consider exploring ways to incorporate more aural interactions with your customers and create deeper connections in the process. I promise you, it'll sound really good. Sometimes a remarkable experience deserves deeper investigation. We dive into the nitty gritty of customer interactions and dissect how and why they happen. Join us while we're dissecting the experience. I had something happen to me at the airport the other day, Dan, that I've been seeking for years and finally was able to make happen. Ah, you got that extra pat down from the TSA, didn't you? (laughs) No, I have not been looking for that and thankfully avoided that. What actually happened was I had the chance to enjoy a super healthy meal in an airport. In an airport? In an airport. Where where your basic choices are fast food or faster food? Or faster food. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Well, I was walking to my gate at LAX, Los Angeles International Airport. And as I approached the food court, I saw a display banner. It was just the banner out in the middle of the food court. And it said, fresh food ready here in minutes presented by Breeze. And it proceeded to show a series of pictures of tasty treats, things like a pre-flight power smoothie, a chicken quinoa jar, and avocado toast. And there was a QR code on the bottom encouraging people that were walking by to scan to order. And so I did. And it was a beautiful experience. It was a clean, seamless interface. I placed the order for what I was looking for. And about eight to 10 minutes later, someone walked through a door in the back of the food court and said, breakfast for Joey. I then proceeded to have avocado toast on sourdough bread with tomatoes and a strawberry immunity shake made of strawberries, pineapple, Greek yogurt, orange juice, cinnamon, and maple syrup. It was delicious. It was nutritious. It was convenient. It had all the markings of a great experience. And it happened in an airport. Excuse me while I wipe the drool from my microphone. That actually sounds really good. I'm hungry now. It's it's incredible. And it does not by far the best meal I've had in an airport. It sounds like a good meal that you could have had anywhere. And that's, I think, the point that you're making is we we certainly don't expect to have a meal like that in an airport. I'm impressed, man. I'm impressed. This is LAX. I gotta, I gotta get out there. Yeah, this is LAX. It was unbelievable. This is not terribly surprising that this is LA. It is not surprising that it's LA. And in fact, I did a little research. The company that is offering this service, Breeze, they're currently only at LAX. They're planning to expand to other airports. To San Francisco but, next, I'm sure. Yeah. What I thought was interesting about this, though, is I had just been speaking with a couple other travelers at the event that I was at about how difficult it was to get healthy food when you're on the road, especially at the airport. You know, it's great that you can get food at the airport. I'm not trying to be a prima donna about this. But if you're trying to eat healthy, the first place that comes to mind is not, oh, I know, let's go to the airport so we can have a great healthy meal. And so the fact that this was being provided, I think speaks to the recognition of know who your customers are. And a lot of the people flying through LAX are more health conscious. They're willing to pay a little bit more. And to be frank, the price differential, not that different from what I would have paid at any of the other restaurants in the airport. 
but it was super healthy, super easy. And it was almost like it was a ghost kitchen. They didn't have a line. They just came from the back. I don't know where they produced it. It wasn't, you know, kind of one of those food court kiosks like you normally see. And it was an unbelievable experience. Well, I love it. And I have been in the same position, you know, especially now with the limits on what we can take on the plane and get through security and what have you. You almost assume that you're going to have to grab a bite at the airport. And the choices are tough if you're trying to eat healthy. I mean, you know, we're joking, but it, it really is fast food or fast food is pretty much your choice. You you go into the newsstand or the convenience store and maybe there's some packaged stuff that's reasonably healthy, but getting something like a salad or a smoothie or something is awfully difficult to find. It is. And I think this is a perfect illustration of sometimes it's really easy to stand out by being the different type of offering in the marketplace. So in the food court at the airport, lots of fried food, lots of fast food, lots of non-healthy food. Breeze really stood out. And interestingly enough, as I was standing there, I was not the only person that was ordering. There was a healthy flow of people coming in and ordering that I would say was on par, if not higher, than the traffic flow at the various other food establishments. But what I also found interesting is after I finished eating, which was great, I got on the plane and I'm sitting on the plane and I get a text message. This is about 45 minutes later. And the message just says, how was your experience at Breeze? What I loved about, and asking me to kind of reply back with my rating. What I loved about this is it was long enough that I'd had the chance to eat my food, but it was short enough that the experience was still fresh in my mind, no pun intended, and they got me before my plane took off. So it's like they got my feedback before the breakfast I had had at LAX was a distant memory. So I think the moral of this story is twofold. Number one, don't be afraid to try new things in new markets, especially if you can build a seamless, customized, interesting experience around them. The big thing that was interesting with Breeze is it was healthy food. Another thing that was interesting, I ordered online. Another thing that was interesting, somebody just walked out from the back and said, breakfast for Joey. So it felt very personalized. It felt very special, even though if they would have you know, called my name out at the fries place, you know, order for Joey, you know, it would have been also a personalized experience. But because I hadn't said my name to anyone and they just read it off the order, it felt even more special. Number two, don't hesitate to ask your customers for feedback. And if you are going to ask them for feedback, try to do it in a time frame that is after they've enjoyed the experience or fully experienced your product or your service offering, but not so long after that they've forgotten about it. And by the way, next time you're flying through LAX, make sure to try a tasty meal from Breeze. The avocado toast is delicious. We love telling stories and sharing key insights you can implement or avoid based on our experiences. Can you believe that this just happened? Dan, do you still have your appendix? <laughs> That's kind of a personal <laughs> question, Joey. Um, <clears throat> actually, as it turns out, I do still have my appendix. Okay, I wasn't quite sure. I have mine as well. But the reason I ask is because I remember, and I wonder if you remember, Dan, being in grade school 
and learning that the appendix is what they call a vestigial organ. And by that, I mean it's something that used to be important to our bodies, but now isn't important or, frankly, even useful for that matter. And interestingly enough, I was thinking about this concept of vestigial organs as it relates to customer experience when I was at the airport last week. <laughs> uh, that's, that's my podcast partner right there. He's at the airport thinking of vestigial organs. So, <laughs> all right, I'm going to bite. Were you flying in order to have your appendix taken out? No, I was not doing one of these medical tourism type deals. But what I was doing is returning from a quick two-day trip to Las Vegas for a speaking event. And as I was exiting the parking garage where I'd left my car, I came to the kiosk that asked me to insert my credit card. Now, while it was processing, I looked and saw a sign on the kiosk that said, and I quote, lost ticket minimum charge, $26. Now, Dan, for the life of me, I couldn't remember getting a ticket when I pulled into the garage two days earlier. And I was frustrated because now I just put my credit card in without putting a ticket in. And when it charged my card for $52, I was frustrated because I was like, oh my gosh, I got hit for 2x the lost ticket charge for each day, 26 and 26, $52. Wow, that's not fun. And I was pretty frustrated. Well, as it turns out, I didn't need to worry. The parking garage had updated their system so that when you pull into park, you provide a credit card, which I had done and to be honest, had kind of forgotten about. And then when you leave the garage, you insert your same credit card again. Now, I don't know if they use cameras to match your license plate or if they just have some type of software that timestamps based on what credit card you use when you come in and when you come out and then they figure it out. But moral of the story is what I figured out is that I wasn't charged the lost ticket charge of $26. See, the daily maximum charge for parking on the hourly is $26. And since I'd been there two days, my charge was for two full days, not a lost ticket. But what about the sign referencing the lost ticket? It's an appendix. Uh, Say what now? (laughs) It's not an appendix, but it's like an appendix. It's a vestigial organ. The sign referencing the lost ticket used to be important. It used to be what they did when they gave you a ticket and you had to put your ticket back in. But now it's not relevant. And in fact, I'll take it one step further, Dan, and say that the sign is now a detriment to the overall experience because when I saw the sign, I got frustrated thinking I had done something wrong and lost the ticket. The sign is still up, but you don't need a ticket anymore. That's why it's like an appendix. And frankly, this interaction with the lost ticket sign got me thinking about how many brands have vestigial aspects of their customer interactions that once were useful and made sense, but now just cause confusion and angst for their customers. Ah, like a form that asks for your fax number. Exactly. Or a voicemail that says, please let me know the day and time you called, even though the phone is going to recall record the day and time that you called. And probably your name and your phone number yeah, as well. It's going to give you most of that. Exactly. Or how about a 404 page or a not found broken link error page on your website? Exactly. Now, let's be clear. I'm not saying that any vestigial aspect of your interactions is bad. But the best organizations either eliminate them 
or acknowledge the missed interaction. For example, Dan, I've spent some time on your website, frankly, typing in the wrong address from time to time. And you do something different with your 404 not found error message on the website. And for those of you that aren't familiar with the 404 message, this is if somebody types in, they think they're typing in a landing page, but they go, they mistype it and they go to an error page and a screen pops up letting them know that they couldn't find the page that they had typed in or were looking for. Dan, why don't you tell folks who maybe haven't had the pleasure of being on the Experience Makers website what your 404 message says? Well, first of all, I appreciate you attempting to break my website. That is actually a really important thing that everybody should do is try to break things because your customers are going to do it even if it's by accident. And so Joey obviously typed in a page that doesn't exist on my page and thus got my 404 page. So I decided to have a little fun with it because you and I teach this stuff. And and I specifically talk a lot with clients and in speeches about how every single point of communication, every time we use words, we have an opportunity to create an experience. We don't always take that opportunity, but we could and we should. And so when you hit an error page on my site, you get an emoji or a bitmoji, I guess it is, a bitmoji of me that says, oops, and you can see it's kind of an embarrassed Dan Bitmoji. It says, oops, and then it says, well, this is awkward, but don't worry, it's not you, it's me. Maybe we can try again sometime. At least let me take you home. And then there's a link to the home page, which gets you back to safety. So clever, so fun, so playful, and unexpected. And here's the thing I love about this, and I so appreciate you sharing your example, Dan. If somebody makes a mistake on Dan's website, they still have a positive experience. That's what you want all of your customers to do. If they slip, if they mistake, if they do the wrong thing, you want it to be playful. You want it to be engaging. You want to acknowledge it and get them moving back in the right direction. You know, I once visited a company website that every time you came to the 404 error page, it showed a picture of a dog, but not just any dog. They had a rotating series of error pages that showed different employees' dogs so that if, God forbid, you came to an error page more than once, you'd see a different dog. I thought this was a really playful interaction for sure, but it also showed that this e-commerce company had employees with pets, which further humanized an otherwise impersonal online interaction. And here's the thing, Joey. I know what site you're talking about. that dum I wondered if you would. Uh-huh. You're talking about a small little site called Amazon.com. And oh, go I ahead, know. folks. When you're done listening, go type Amazon.com into your browser and then hit the slash. And then just put a bunch of letters, something that is clearly a mistake. And you are going to get a really cute dog and a link to meet the dogs of Amazon. And this is where you learn that all of the dogs on these pages are actually employee dogs. It's brilliant because it it gives you a little bit of a smile. It it doesn't make you feel stupid for hitting, you know, a wrong page or for typing something wrong. And it creates an experience where you didn't expect one. And that's really the lesson here is that as I said before, Every time we communicate, we have a chance to create an experience. So why not take that opportunity? And when Dan says, go meet the dogs for Amazon, I mean, seriously, friends, this is worth going to do. There's a video. They talk about the 7,000 puppies and dogs that work 
at Amazon. And they talk about kind of how it came to be and what some of the perks are for employees with having their dogs and kind of the dogs being able to come on campus and what that looks like. You get a feel for the brand and they're continuing to tell the story of Amazon and what it's like to work there from a mistake, which I think is just absolutely brilliant. So what can we learn from my lost ticket experience? Well, I'd be willing to bet that your organization has at least two appendixes, or would that be appendix I? I'm, I'm not appendices? sure. Appendices? Appendices, maybe? I don't know. Well, regardless... Those ones that you find in a book. I don't know if that's yeah, the exactly. same... I don't know. I don't know what's a English plural. being a complicated language. It's it so is. But regardless, I imagine that there are leftover customer interactions that just aren't serving you or your customers anymore. And the more you can remove those or improve on those or have fun with them, the better your overall experience. So what should you do? Well, I would recommend you audit and evaluate your interactions. Ask your employees, what types of things still happen at this company that don't need to happen? What are the silly things we're asking customers to do or even we're asking employees to do that just don't make sense anymore? Ask your customers, what types of things or questions or interactions are you having with them that just don't make sense or they don't need to happen that way? If we all work together, we can safely and efficiently perform a little surgery to remove any vestigial organs within our business and maintain a vibrant and healthy operation. Thanks for joining us for another episode of Experience This. You're the best listener ever. And since you listened to the whole show, yay you, we're curious. Was there a specific part of this episode that you enjoyed the most? If so, it would mean the world to us if you could share it with a coworker, a friend, or someone that just loves listening to podcasts. And while you're in the sharing mood, if you felt inclined to jump over to iTunes or wherever you find your podcasts and write us a review, we would so appreciate it. And when you do, don't forget to let us know as we might have a little surprise for you. Thanks again for your time and we'll see you next week for more Experience. Yes.